0: turn with me to Isaiah chapter 39. we come to a real turning point in the book. As Todd has mentioned, we will be taking a break from Isaiah for a time in order to study the gospel of Mark. This doesn't mean we're done with Isaiah altogether. Again, I do plan to pick up at chapter 40 when we are finished with Mark. I'll have a... Um, a book recommendation for you. There's several commentaries and things that I've just ordered, but there's one that is really accessible and it's by a, uh, former ARP pastor and incredible theologian named Sinclair Ferguson. And it's, it's a real simple title. It's like, let's study Mark or something like that. So, uh, it's very approachable and easy to understand. And so I will probably, uh, share out a link or something like that. And we may even make a few copies available here. So I encourage you. So we're reading a resource like that as well as we are studying through this together. So before we come to Isaiah 39 today, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for a supple. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, we recognize it as the only source of truth that we know. It is the source of wisdom and understanding. It is the source of how we can know you how we can know ourselves and the world around us. It is the thing that can inform us and we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that what we are reading is good and right. And so, Lord, we pray that we would help us because we can say those things, but in our hearts, we struggle with those things. We want our own words to be the standard. We want the words of others to be the standard. We we even let them bother and worry us rather than turning to your truth. And so, Lord, help us because we are so easily unsettled and so easily pulled astray. So we pray, Lord, as we come to your word, that you would draw us close, that you would use your word to convict us of our sin and lead us to the truth. And we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. So by way of introduction. Uh, uh, as I read through Isaiah 39, it made me think of, you know, when you're watching a television show. I'm thinking, like, particularly like the ones that have this like a bad guy, and there's and there's a closing at the end of the show. You know, like a Law and Order or CSI or something like that, and. You ever notice in that show, especially if you watch it the second time, and some movies are this way also, that you can notice things the second time around that you didn't notice, and you're like, oh, that would make sense now that I've seen it and I can see all the pieces put together. You know, when you think about one of those crime shows, there's, there's always this big reveal at the end, and it's always somebody that you wouldn't have expected, oh, she did it or he did it, oh, I wouldn't have ever got that. And then if you rewatch it, you're like, oh, okay, well, that makes total sense. The real criminal is almost always introduced at some early part in the show as some benign character that doesn't seem to fit. And then they introduce another character like, oh yeah, that's the one, that's easy. And you just, you know that they're trying to mislead you, but you still get, you still buy in and you think, oh, I should have known at the end. You know, we all feel that way. In our text today, we have a story much like that. Last week we dealt with a flashback where Isaiah or Hezekiah was sick and that happened kind of before Assyria was, uh, was conquered by the Lord. And in our story today we are introduced to what is seemingly a benign character in the history of Judah. We are shown this because that person or that character, that nation or empire really is going to end up being the real bad guy because for israel this sets in motion this chain of events that really is still being felt for them today at least in the political sense so we're going to flash back to the time when the babylonian envoys visited hezekiah because hezekiah was looking for a way to deal with that assyrian threat even though the lord had told him hey i'm going to deal with this hezekiah Hezekiah wasn't convinced, and then he made friends with the enemy, and there would be consequences for that. There's whole books of the Bible written about those consequences. We can study those later. If we have learned anything in our past year, in our time in the first part of the book of Isaiah, we have learned the importance of what it means to trust in the Lord in all things and how we pray and how we worship and how our day-to-day living should be carried out in all things that we do and in that same vein we've seen our own tendency then not to trust him but instead to find other things that we trust and those other things by definition of course cannot even come close to offering the same kinds of promises and realities that the lord himself will bring to us yet in our frailty and our anxiety we reach out to these things nonetheless as we look at our text today we bring to a close again this first section of this book of isaiah and i think it i think that chapter 39 really sums up the ideas really well it shows us one that we need a savior which is a great thing because then we get to talk about the savior jesus christ as we look at our text, I'll divide it into three points. The Babylonian letters, that sounded cool, in letter, you know, it's just one letter. A letter from the Father, and then the word from the Lord is good. And so with that, look with me together at Isaiah 39, starting at verse 1. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. <clears throat> Isaiah 39, starting at verse 1. At that time, Merodach Baldan, the son of Baldan, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he had heard that he had been sick and had recovered. And Hezekiah welcomed them gladly, and he showed them his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his whole armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah, the prophet, came to King Hezekiah and said to him, why did the, or what did these men say? And from where did he come to you? Hezekiah said, they have come to me from a far country, from Babylon. He said, what have they seen in your house? Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord for the Lord of hosts, Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and all that which your fathers have stored up to this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you will who who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, there will be peace and security in my days. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So I'm quickly going to turn to 2 Kings chapter 17. 2 Kings chapter 17. In order to read a passage that we have read before. We'll start at verse six. And I'm just going to read this passage because I think it's helpful for us to see what brought us to this point. And again, we, we read this early on in our time in Isaiah. And just listen, I want you to understand because as we read things like the Lord is going to destroy them, the Lord is going to wipe them off the map, and that sort of thing, it's, it's good to have context for that. And so let's read uh, from 2 Kings chapter 17, starting at verse 7, or starting at verse 6, sorry. In the ninth year, of Hosea, the king of Assyria, captured Samaria, and he carried the Israelites away to Assyria. "...and placed them in Hala, and on the harbor, the river of Gozan, and the cities of the Medes." And so this is the northern kingdom, this is not Judah. Judah is the only thing that's left at this point. Verse 7, "...and this occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt, from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and had feared other gods, and walked in the customs of the nations, whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel." And in the customs that the kings of Israel had practiced and the people of Israel did secretly against the Lord, their God, things that were not right. They built for themselves high places in all their towns, from watchtowers to fortified cities. They set up for themselves pillars and ashram on every high hill and under every green tree. And they made offerings on all the high places as the nations did whom the Lord carried away before them. And they did wicked things, provoking the Lord to anger. And they served idols from which the Lord said to them, you shall not do this. Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes in accordance with the law that I commanded your fathers and that I sent to you by my servants and prophets. But they would not listen. They were stubborn as their fathers had been who did not believe in the Lord their God. They despised his statutes and his covenant that he made with their fathers and the warnings that he gave them. They went after false idols and became false. And they followed the nations that were around them concerning whom the Lord had commanded them that they shall not do like them. And they abandoned all the commandments of the Lord their God and made for themselves metal images of two calves. And they made an Asherah and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served Baal. And they burned their sons and daughters as offerings and used divination and omens and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. None was left but the tribe of Judah only. Now, we think Judah would get the message, right? Judah also did not keep the commandments of the Lord, their God, but walked in the customs that Israel had introduced. And the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel and afflicted them and gave them into the hand of plunderers until he cast them out of his sight. We've read this section before, but it helps us to set up again where we are today. There is a reason for the judgment of the people of God. It isn't because these rogue nations raised up and dealt them a blow and that they would eventually be able to fight back with the help of the Lord, that them and the Lord together would be able to fight back these rogue nations. That's not it at all. It's because the Lord himself fashioned a weapon that he might use against his own people. First, that weapon was Assyria. And next, that weapon's going to be Babylon. The Lord calls that weapon an axe, even back in in, uh, Isaiah chapter 7. The northern kingdom has been destroyed. Judah remains. Yet Judah didn't learn from the demise of the northern kingdom. You'd think they would have. They probably thought, well... We can act however we want because we're actually better than those Sumerians up there. So we're going to do whatever we want. The Lord would show that he was no respecter of persons, that he judges all equally for their sins, and Judah would be judged. Yet, they were going to be extended grace. And we read about that back in Isaiah 36 and 37 where Hezekiah, their leader, they humbled himself and he he prayed. and, And Assyria was thrown back off the walls. And he was on his deathbed. Remember, we learned that last week. And that the Lord not only promised to make him well, but said that I will deliver you from Assyria. And it wasn't because Judah was a good person. It was because the Lord was good and merciful. And he even gave Hezekiah a sign. Remember that sign? The sign was to turn back time. Like to make the day go backwards. It wasn't just like he didn't just draw a picture. He changed the whole earth for a few minutes. Another thing that the Lord didn't have to do, but he did that to show Hezekiah, hey, look, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of all of my people because I am good. So imagine, not only you having been made well, but you having seen the day turn backwards just so that the Lord could say, this is what I'm going to do. So fast forward some time. Hezekiah has recovered and things are good in Judah. There's some prosperity Babylon, who had been under Assyrian rule, remember Babylon was also attacked by Assyria and lost. But at this point in history, they have rebelled and they have they have won. And they wanted to reach out to Hezekiah and they basically come to send him a get well card with a lot more money and people attached to it. And that's where we are right here. So look with me there at verses 1 and 2 back in Isaiah 39. the time, Merodach, Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah. For he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. And Hezekiah welcomed them gladly and showed them all the things. And I think it's interesting that they make sure that we understand that it's not just a few things, but it's even like things like spices and oil, everything. So this is all the things that we have. Aren't we Wealthy. And don't you know that Babylon was taking notes? They weren't there to simply say, we're so glad you're better, Hezekiah. You know, like some sort of Hallmark card or something. They were there taking stock. They were there understanding. I compare Babylon to like a growing grizzly bear cub. At this point, it just needs a lot of resources. But in a couple of years, it's going to be a monster. And that's exactly what happened. history We can read about it this stage they needed some help and so they're there at judah or in judah in order to get hezekiah to help them against assyria and to promise hezekiah help himself we don't have those exact words spelled out here but history shows us this as well as isaiah's response to this which is actually the lord's response to this he wasn't exactly pleased that hezekiah showed them around but he not only welcomed them this and it wasn't just a fact that he welcomed them he wasn't just nice to them of course we'd expect him to do that in any context but he shows them everything it's like in a in a poker game just laying your cards out and say here this is what i've got you can just play however you see fit now he's playing with an open hand he shouldn't have done that babylon is taking notes they have no plans to settle down we're just going to have our little country over here and we're going to settle down and we'll be friends with everybody. That's not what Babylon did. They took over the the known world. This is a valuable lesson, brothers and sisters in Christ. The world isn't happy with just part of us. They want the whole thing. So any amount of trust that we offer to the world, they will take all of us. What did Jesus say concerning this? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to lose his very soul we may try to rationalize this sometimes we may even try to miss uh to uh kind of shroud our mistrust in the lord in other ways you've heard me talk about this already some of you but uh, the response to the coronavirus has been very telling particularly from christians where the hearts of men and women are the hearts of our country are pointing at people Who are hoarding things like toilet paper and Clorox wipes is really easy to do because we think it's silly. Because it's easy to look at ourselves and say, well, look at those dummies. Why are they even doing this? I'm thankful I'm not like them. But our hearts easily betray us when we do things like that. Our true feelings of anxiety and insecurity come out in other ways. We may, the way that we think and the way that we talk about the actions of others. The way that we dismiss the situation like that, this isn't really that big of a deal because maybe saying it will make it come true, kind of like throwing a penny in a well and hoping that the wish just kind of happens. The truth is, whether we're in panic mode or in apathy-pointing-fingers mode, we all show our tendencies to trust ourselves rather than the Lord. We desire control over the situation. So if we can do that, We can gain some control by hoarding a bunch of things. We'll do that. We'll we'll gain control by doing that. I'll never run out of toilet paper. Okay, you, congratulations. But we then, the rest of us, desire to have our own righteousness look superior. So we can point fingers and then we're able to say, look at me. Look how wise I am and the things that I'm able to say about you silly people out there. What's the answer to any of this? Well, Isaiah points us in the right direction. That brings us to the second point, a letter from the father. Verse five, Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Isaiah was not happy, as you can read there in verses three and four. He was not pleased that Hezekiah had let these enemies in. And so this is the word that he's going to give to Hezekiah from the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house, and all that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. This is hard. But remember the the role of the prophet in those days, they didn't just simply act as the Lord's mouthpiece. They were leaders. They were wise men among the people. Isaiah, at this point in his life, had served several kings. He had seen many happenings. He was a man of wisdom and authority. Yet Hezekiah acted foolishly. He didn't consult Isaiah. He didn't consult the Lord at all. He just acted on his own wisdom, which was found wanting. So Isaiah has this word from the Lord. Remember the Lord said that he would deliver Hezekiah from Assyria. He said he would do that. Which at this point in history, at this point in the story that we're at in 39, hasn't happened yet. This is a flashback. We talked about those events a few chapters back. Which we saw then, Hezekiah, to be a man of faith and a man of prayer. Yet now his actions, compounded with the actions of his son, Manasseh, who you can read about in uh, the later chapters there in Second Kings. Those actions are going to have consequences. And so in verses 6 and 7 of Isaiah 39, you have this grim word from the Lord. Some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father shall be taken away and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Can you imagine being told that as a king, that one day your sons who are supposed to be kings are actually just going to be servant boys? one day when it comes to babylon and babylon isn't another god-fearing nation it's a pagan nation so these these jews who are the people of god are going to have sons of the kings that are going to worship under the feet of a pagan king so how does this give us an answer for our own hearts in some ways it seems horrible because, you know, we'd much rather live our own lives as however we want to do that. We'd, we'd rather have no consequences from the Lord ever. We'd, we'd love to remain a people that just kind of trust the Lord and receive blessings as if we totally trusted Him. Now in Christ, let's be sure, in Christ we have the full blessings. ...as the sons and daughters of God. And we are thankful for that because in spite of our own sin... ...in spite of our own tendencies to stray away and to trust the Babylon's of the world... ...we are still held tight in Jesus Christ. And that is good. In Christ our lack of trust doesn't garner some sort of ultimate consequence for our lives. Nor does it for Judah. Because we know one that will be born one day who is called the Lion of Judah... And so we know that the Lord has a plan to redeem his people. We are saved by the works of Jesus Christ, not our own ability to trust him more or to be better at that, to be sure. However, for those times that we don't trust, for those times that we act in accordance of our sin rather than our righteousness that we have in Christ, there will be consequences for those times. We all know this. Some of us have scars from these times where we've made stupid choices over the course of our life, thinking that we were smart rather than trusting the Lord's guidance. This is important for all of us, but I think particularly for young people to hear, who sometimes make choices without a clear understanding of what the future might hold, because, you know, they're super smart. Similar to Hezekiah, letting a seemingly unimportant group of people take stock of Your treasure and your arsenal. Look at all what I have. Thanks for the present. They are like that not so dangerous character that we meet in the first 10 minutes of the show who ends up being the murderer. As you pull or as things pull at your trust over the course of your years, particularly you young people in your younger years, and it will happen. You have friends, you'll have other relationships you have temptations of all sorts pulling you at things, trying to get you to be a part of things, trying to get you to do this and that. Understand that there are wise people who are years older than you who have been there. I didn't just skip to 41. I've lived through all of that. There are people older than 41. They didn't just skip there either. They lived through all of that. Listen to them. It's always a good idea. Now, those people, me, the rest of us, we also need to be listening because we are just as easily led astray. But we know the wisdom of following the Lord, or at least we should. That's why we all need a word from the Lord, because his word reminds us that he's in charge and that our trust should be in him and him alone. He is the one who leads and guides us. It is his intention that we would have life and have it to the full and have it abundantly. And that brings us to this last point. The word of the Lord is good. Verse 8. So just imagine, Hezekiah has just been told. And it's not Hezekiah, you're going to die tomorrow for your sins. But it's Hezekiah, the nation of Judah is going to be wiped out. Basically. Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought there will be peace and security in my days." This is hard, or at least it should be, because Isaiah just said something that we might all consider bad. And Isaiah is saying, or Hezekiah is saying, no, this is going to be great. In fact, many commentators over the years that went back and forth here, and they don't, it's hard to understand where Hezekiah must have been coming for. Is he is he responding kind of like a defiant child, saying, I don't care what you say, I'm going to do what I want, it's going to be good around here. Or is he kind of this pie in the sky kind of thing. Okay, negative Nancy Isaiah, don't be a downer. Everything's gonna be okay. Even as Babylon storms the gates. I don't think that's the case. There may be some of that, but I think there's a deeper truth here. I think Hezekiah knows that the Lord is sovereign. He's in control. I mean, he was laying on his deathbed when he saw the sun go backwards. So I think he knows that the Lord is capable and he is in control. But in spite of this, he still made a bad decision. So I think Hezekiah's words here reflect the idea that no matter what, the Lord is good. What he says is good. And that there will be peace and security in his days because the Lord is in charge of his days. We ultimately see this in Jesus Christ, do we not? What did he tell his disciples as as he sent them out? He said, they're going to hate you. They're going to hurt you because that's what they did to me. That's what they do to me. You're going to suffer the same fate as me. You're going to be killed for what you believe. He told them that the people in their own hometowns would reject them. But he also told them, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Adam and Eve were told that because they ate the fruit, they would surely die. In Christ, we have been told that we will surely live. This is even in spite of our sins, brothers and sisters in Christ. Christ took our sin for which we deserve death. We lose sight of that much of the time. For them, he died. He took the death that we deserve. We get the life that he deserves. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. So when it comes to things like toilet paper hoarding and viruses spreading across the world and everything seeming to be in chaos, at the end of the day, the Lord says, yep, just like I planned it. The Lord isn't shocked by anything. That's the truth. If that's true, then, brothers and sisters in Christ, who then should we trust in ourselves who are shocked by everything or in the one who wakes up and knows doesn't wake up, actually, because he doesn't sleep. He he knows all things. He planned all things. And he said, this is good. The one that said to the storm and to the waters, peace, be still, also says to us, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden. Find peace for your souls. I will give you rest. And so in conclusion. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Where and to whom. Are we running for trust. When it comes to our own livelihood. Who are we trusting in. When it comes to our children's futures. Who are we trusting in. Whether it be a a baby that's on the way. Or a 15 year old. Who are we trusting for those people. What about our wealth and our security, our health? Ask yourself, examine your own actions, not the actions of others, but your own. How do you act? What will you say to the truth? From the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. So what should be our actions? Repentance. For when we mistrust the Lord, Brothers and sisters in Christ, repent. Run to him. He is faithful. He will forgive. We should be glad in that. We should rejoice in no other thing, really, than he is forgiving. He loves people. He is preparing a place for us in glory. Even in those times when we think we have to do all the work ourselves, he is even then preparing a place for us. And we will be with him for all eternity. And this is not only a message for us today, and it needs to be for us. We need this message for us. But this is the message that we have for a world that's suffering right now, that is unsure and afraid right now. This is the truth that we have. For those who are seeking salvation in food and toilet paper hoards, what do we have? We have something much greater than that. Let us offer that to them, brothers and sisters. Tell them about Jesus. He offers peace for their souls. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, first and foremost, we are sorry because we oftentimes turn to our own hordes and our own thoughts of security and our own meager wisdom. Because we've been here a few years, we think we've got the answers or because we read that one thing that one time. Lord, you are the source of all wisdom and authority and knowledge, and yet you are the source of all mercy and grace. And for that, we are thankful. Help us to be a people who lean to you for our own security and then tell others about your mercy and grace. We pray this in your name. Amen.